Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. We've been looking at people such as Eugene Peterson, Watchman Nee, C.S. Lewis, and Billy Graham. And as Pastor Luis was saying, they're examples for us as we're striving to follow Jesus about what it means to be a Christian and follow our Lord. And as we've been going throughout this sermon series, there's some themes that have sort of stood out to me. First and foremost, I think, is this theme of Bible study, which has been so important and so integral in the lives of the witnesses we've looked at. But then there's also focus, because we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's not just focus on Him, but it's taking our focus off the distractions of our lives so that we can better look to Jesus. And then the third theme that I see that's really been speaking to me throughout this series is the joy that these witnesses have experienced in their lives. And that joy is separate from happiness because happiness is based on our circumstances, but joy is a gift that we have in Christ that no matter what we're going through, we can experience this joy because of what Jesus has done for us. And so our key scripture comes from Hebrew Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before for him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, a position of honor right next to God. And so the author of Hebrews, they're talking about scripture, or people from the Old Testament scriptures, people like Abraham and his wife Sarah, people like Noah and Isaac, Jacob, people like Rahab and King David and Solomon and Samson, all of these witnesses of the Old Testament. And in the same way, we're looking at these witnesses through this series who are displaying lives of faith. They're not perfect lives, but they're lives committed to God. And that's something that we want to strive to do as well, is to be witnesses to others who are coming behind us, to others who are looking to us as we're looking to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so that's what we want to do. Maybe like me, there's pastors alive today or Christian teachers or philosophers that you guys look up to that you see as witnesses for what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe there's been people who have passed recently that we haven't covered in this series, but that you, you would have liked us to speak about even There's even people in this church here at Generation, in this room today, that I look up to as witnesses for what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a father, a husband, for what it means to be a son and a friend. And so I'm thankful that I get to be a part of this church family where we all are encouraging one another and we can all be witnesses to what it means to follow Christ as we're, we're all in this together. As much as it's an individual faith with us and God, we're in this together so that we can reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to be talking about Dr. R.C. Sproul. 
And a lot of the information that I've got to share with you about R.C. came from a biography by Stephen Nichols entitled R.C. Sproul, A Life. And it was just a really good read for me as I was preparing for this message because I had encountered R.C. Sproul through his teaching, um, but I really didn't know anything about him on a personal level. And this biography really gave me an opportunity to get to know the man that he was, understand a little bit about his struggles and his challenges in life, and really how he was just seeking God throughout all of it. Um, And it really encouraged me even to see that there's certain areas in his life where I can really connect to him more on a personal level. Um, So that's a really neat thing to do. So if you guys like history, if you guys like church history, if you want to learn more about R.C. Sproul, I really recommend this biography because it really digs into a lot of the the things that he was um, working towards as far as a teacher goes, as far as an apologist goes, uh, that I'm not going to cover this morning. So if that's something that interests you, I recommend you check it out. Uh, Dr. Sproul was a student, a professor, a pastor, and a teacher. He went to uh, Bible college, and he went to seminary, and then later in his life, he taught in colleges, and he became a pastor. And throughout all of it, he was a teacher, teaching the gospel to anyone who would listen, anyone that would listen at all. In 1971, he opened Ligonier Valley Study Center in Stallstown, Pennsylvania, and in 1984, Ligonier Ministries moved to Orlando, Florida. I like the Sunshine State, too something we have in common. It's pretty cool. Um, He was a writer. One of his teachers that would be an important witness to him, uh, she told him, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't write. And that really set a spark for him to pursue writing. And so throughout his life, he authored over 100 books, theological books, uh, nonfiction, fiction books, and even a handful of children's stories. And so it's just really neat to see somebody who is so well-versed in the Bible that they can boil down these deep biblical theological topics and present them even to little kids so that they can understand the grace and the glory and the holiness of God. So that was an inspiration to me as well as I was preparing for this. He was the editor of the New Geneva Study Bible that was later released in 2015 as the Reformation Study Bible. And R.C. hoped that this Reformation Study Bible would become Bible study reformation in the lives of those who would read this uh, Bible and would study the... um, There's different uh, articles and stuff in in the Bible from different theologians. So... There's a lot that can be learned. And so that was his hope, was that it would spur people on to want to study the Bible more. R.C. was called a battlefield theologian, and he was on the front lines of several evangelical church um, uh, controversies that began in the 1970s where there was a real um, attack on the idea of biblical inerrancy, where the Word of God is inspired And because it's inspired by God, it's truthful. There's an attack against that, and he was on the front lines trying to defend that. And then later, he was defending the importance of the doctrine of sola fide, which is justification by faith alone. And that's really what our Christian life is about, is about we've been justified by grace through faith. And so he was on the front lines defending that against different controversies arising in the 80s and 90s. And by the way, these are same things that we're dealing with in the church today, these same sorts of attacks against Christianity. I first encountered R.C. Sproul around 2013 
1994, he started a radio broadcast called Renewing Your Mind. It was this daily radio broadcast where he just taught through Scripture. And that's really when I first started encountering him and his teaching. And it really just inspired me to seek after God more, just to see his heart for the Scripture, for the Word of God, for the holiness of God. It's just inspiring and uh, I just really look to him as an example of what it means to seek after the Lord and just his personality. Anyone who knew him, they, they just felt connected to him, like they were friends with him. Because even if he was preaching to a crowd of a thousand people, it looked like he was looking at everybody. He was looking directly at you, speaking right to you. So he was really personable. And this is the kind of person that R.C. Sproul was. He pastored St. Andrew's Chapel in Sanford outside of Orlando for 20 years later on in his life. He was a theologian and apologist. He was studying scripture, he was teaching truth, and he was fighting for the faith throughout his whole life. Some people who knew him well said these things. R.C. was a masterful theologian who could easily squeeze sweetness from what others considered dry doctrine. Stephen Nichols, who authored the biography, said that he was as much at home in a union hall as in high church liturgy. There was likely not a single biblical trivia that escaped him. There was no topic in theology that he could not teach on extemporaneously without any notes. There was likely no topic in philosophy that he could not teach on either. He was conversant with modern film, with modern novels, and with current politics. He was just a normal guy. R.C. Sproul loved jokes. Even if it was a terrible joke, if he hadn't heard it before, it was a good joke to R.C. And he liked to tease people, and he liked being teased. He had this mischievous grin, and if you saw it, you knew you were about to be razzed. He just wanted to mess with people. You know, There was this one story where it was later on in his life, and they were doing a groundbreaking for some buildings that they were going to construct, and Stephen Nichols, the author of the biography, he had pre-dug up a piece of sod for the groundbreaking. And so he told R.C., all you have to do is just lift it and move it out of the way. I did the, the hard work for you. And so R.C., he bends down and he scoops up that plot of dirt and he just gives that mischievous grin as he throws the dirt on the freshly polished shoes of Stephen Nichols. So that's the kind of guy he was, always a jokester, always a prankster, just your average guy, but he loved the Lord and he devoted his life to studying scripture and to teaching the gospel message to anyone who would listen to him. He loved sports and he loved his family above everything else. R.C.'s family was full of Roberts, Bobs, and even Robertas. R.C. was a family name. He was born February 13, 1939, Robert Charles Sproul, to Robert Cecil Sproul and his mother, Mary Ann Sproul, in Pleasant Hills, Pennsylvania. His father was a hardworking, steady man. He was an accountant in the family firm, and his mother worked alongside his father, which was uncommon for the time to have both parents working outside of the home. But there's this real partnership between his mother and father. His dad also served in World War II, and he was a good example, a good witness to R.C. of a man, a husband, a father, and a hero. And then there was the love of R.C.'s life, Vesta. 
the author of the biography dedicated it to Vesta, saying, since the first and second grade, it has been R.C. and Vesta. And he tells the story about how the school that they went to when R.C. was in first grade and Vesta was in second grade was about midway between their two houses. And so as they were both walking to the school, R.C. locked eyes on her, and with clarity and conviction, he knew that one day he was going to marry Vesta before he had ever even known her name. And it reminds me about my wife, Danielle, and I. When I was 16 and she was 10, we were both at my aunt's house, and she was running around wild, like a wild child, in the, in the yard and throughout the house. And if you guys know my wife, you understand a little bit about what I'm talking about. She's just running around. I remember thinking that there was something special about her. But I'm 16, and she's 10, so I think nothing of it. And then later that day, apparently, she told her mom, that kid is hot. I'm going to marry him someday. And so when she was just 10 years old, she knew with clarity and conviction that she was going to marry me. And by the grace of God, I was able to meet, meet her. And we're married now and have two wonderful kids. So that's amazing. But that's a connection that I sort of feel with R.C. Sproul because I know a little bit about what he's talking about when he says that since the first and second grade, it has been R.C. and Vesta. Now, Vesta, it's the name of a Roman goddess of hearth, home, and family. And R.C. dedicated his first book to Vesta, saying, To the Romans, a pagan goddess, to me, a godly wife. And Vesta, a lot of times, she would have a red pen and she would edit the different novels that he was putting out. She had her hand into anything that Ligonier Ministries we're going to send out through their Table Talk magazine or through their newsletters or anything like that. She was integral to the ministry that R.C. Sproul had in his life. And I think a lot of that stemmed from the example, the witness that his parents had in his life. But he was big on family. They were married in 1960 and have two children. R.C., like I said, he loved sports. Um, being from Pittsburgh, he was a Steelers and a Pirates fan. And he played football, basketball, and baseball, and even went to college on a sports scholarship. He's your average, fun-loving middle schooler, but his life was about to be thrown a curveball. Because in ninth grade, his father had several strokes, which left him mostly debilitated. And so with these health issues, R.C. Sproul had to take on a part-time job at a uh, TV repair shop in his neighborhood. And then he, it says that he lived on little bit of sleep. He even mastered in school propping up books on his desk and napping while the teacher was teaching the lessons. He just had a tough go in high school. He even was encouraged by his father to give up football because he was much more proficient in basketball and baseball. And because of this, the football coach pressured the basketball coach to bench R.C., and so R.C. didn't have an outlet of sports that he had had when he was in middle school. So for all intents and purposes, his high school life was just difficult for him. His grades reflected that as well. But the one bright spot in his life at that time was Vesta. They had an on-again, off-again relationship. R.C. would say it was more on-again. Vesta would say it was more off-again. But that's the story. They were together on and off since the first and second grade. But I want to share with you a little bit, a little story about R.C. Sproul and his father, as his father was ill. 
His father often would spend the days in a chair in the den reading his Bible with a magnifying glass. And R.C. Sproul, when he would get home from school or from work, he would carry his father to the dinner table and then from the dinner table to bed. And this was a routine. But one night, as R.C. was dragging his father from the dinner table to bed, his dad asked R.C. to stop for a moment and set him down on the couch. He had something he wanted to tell him. Through slurred speech, he said, I have fought the good fight of the faith. I have run the race. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. R.C., unaware that he was quoting scripture, said to him, Don't say that, Dad. He then dragged his father to his room and put him to bed. A little later, R.C. heard a thump. He found his dad on the floor. He slipped into a coma. The next day and a half, R.C. sat with him. Then his dad suddenly lifted up in bed, laid back down, and died. He was 53 years old, and R.C. was 17. Decades later, R.C. recalled the whole incident in his 1983 book, The Hunger for Significance. His extended words follow, and I'll read some of those. I remember my father's final words. How can I forget them? But what haunts me are my last words to him. What did I say that makes me curse my tongue? They were not words of rebellion or shouts of temper. They were words of denial. A refusal to accept my father's final statement. I simply said, don't say that, Dad. In his final moments, my father tried to leave me with a legacy to live by. He sought to overcome his own agony by encouraging me. He was heroic. I shrank from his words in cowardice. I could not face what he had to face. I pled ignorance as I only understood enough of his words to recoil from them. He said, son, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He was quoting the Apostle Paul's closing words to his beloved disciple Timothy, but I failed to recognize that fact. I had never read the Bible. I had no faith to keep, no race to finish. My father was speaking from a posture of victory. He knew who he was and where he was going, but all I could hear in those words was that he was going to die. What impertinence for me to reply, don't say that. I rebuked my father in the most valiant moment of his life. I tramped on his soul with my own unbelief. Nothing more was said between us ever. And then later he says, I had never tasted defeat so final or lost anything so precious. So this was a transition point in the life of R.C. Because like he said, I had no faith to keep, no race to finish. And as was mentioned in that passage, he's reading from 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In this verse, in this portion of Scripture, is where we get our purpose statement here at Generation. We want to be firm in faith, fulfill the call, and finish well. R.C. Sproul, he had many witnesses in his life. Just as I looked to R.C. Sproul as a witness, there was many witnesses that he looked to. He looked to his teachers, to friends and colleagues, to his parents, to the early church fathers such as Augustine and Aquinas, or to the reformers like Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards. He even 
really appreciated the Apostle Paul, and that's exactly what we're talking about. He imitated the Apostle Paul as the Apostle Paul imitated Christ. And that's what we want to do as well. We want to imitate these witnesses as they're imitating Christ so that people can imitate us as we are being witnesses to Christians who follow after Jesus. So to have firm in faith, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. To fulfill the call, we need to live out what we believe. And to finish well, we're not looking to just finish our lives well, but to finish everything that we put our hands to well. And so the first point I want to bring out is the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith. Where the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. The word for fought is in Greek, agonizomai, and it means to engage in conflict. And this phrase is like an athlete training to win a race, or like a military officer, a soldier, preparing for battle. And so while R.C. was attending Westminster College, he had a conversion experience. And as the story goes, he and a friend, they were heading to Youngstown, Ohio, which was nearby where the college was. This was the place where the students would go to party because it was a tough-as-nails town that were notorious for not checking IDs. So they were going there to party, but they realized that they had forgot cigarettes. R.C. Sproul smoked cigarettes. So kids, don't try it. It's bad for you. Uh, So he went back inside the school to get some cigarettes, and as they were trying to do that, they heard over to their side, some people calling them, R.C., come over here. And it just so happened at this point, R.C. Sproul was a freshman, and the senior uh, football captain was calling him over. And he and a group of friends were having a Bible study, so they invited R.C. and his friend to study along with them. And then they handed R.C. the Bible and asked him to read from Ecclesiastes 11. And verse 3 hit R.C. Sproul smack in the face, It says, if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it would lie. And like me, maybe some of you are thinking like, that's a weird verse. (laughs) R.C. would say that he's probably the only Christian in church history that was converted to Christ by this verse. But what happened was he saw in himself this dead, decaying tree that had no hope. And so he realized his sin before a holy God And it really, really had an impact on his life. And so he never made it to Youngstown, Ohio that night. Instead, he went to his room. And I want to read a little bit about that experience. He said, As I went to my bedroom that night and got on my knees, my experience was one of transcendent forgiveness. And I was overwhelmed by the tender mercy of God, the sweetness of his grace, and the awakening he gave me for my life. And I pray that any of you who have not yet experienced an awakening to the reality of Christ would have that experience in your life, that you would look carefully at the scriptures and the word of God, and that the word may be used in power to quicken your soul and your spirit, that you too may be awakened to the fullness of glory and peace and joy that is ours in Christ. his conversion had an impact on him. It was here that he realized his need for a savior, and then later he had a second experience where he experienced the holiness of God. And this is what became the foundation of his his teaching, that God is holy, 
we are not, and we need a substitute. And he devoted his life to preaching that message. And so the good fight of faith, first and foremost, it's against our own sin in the presence of a holy God. In Romans, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it goes on to say that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Because God is holy, we are not, but Jesus is our substitute. That's the message that R.C. Sproul devoted his life to preaching. So the good fight of faith is against our sin, but it's also a daily battle because we're constantly bombarded with the desires of our flesh versus what our spirit wants, what the Holy Spirit has in mind for us. In Ephesians 6.10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Like a soldier in the military, the good fight of faith is to engage in conflict with our sinful nature and with the evil, the, the evil schemes that the devil has that's plotting against us and plotting against God's kingdom purposes. The second point I want to bring out is the race to finish, the call to fulfill. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Paul, on multiple occasions, he uses this race analogy in his letters and it's really looking at how an athlete trains for the physical strain of winning a race. And in the same way, we should strain our minds and our spirits as we seek after God so that we too can win our race. We need to be as focused on Jesus and as dedicated to proclaiming the gospel as a world-class athlete. And so for R.C., his conversion experience had three lifelong impacts on him. He devoted his life to teaching, he continued intense biblical study throughout his life, and he devoted his life to defending the Christian faith. So like I said, he was on the front lines of these different controversies within the church where he really stood for the word of God, where some people were willing to compromise. We need to have no compromise in our faith. And so he started Ligonier Valley Study Center, and it was a place where people could learn not just theology, but they would also have courses on counseling and vocation and career counseling, relationships, ethics, philosophy, physical education. It was a place where people can learn what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. When R.C. Sproul was a professor, one day as he was walking to work, he realized that he was bored of teaching in the college scene. And what he really enjoyed, what he felt his real calling was, was to minister and to teach regular Christians who didn't desire to go on to higher education and be theologians, but they wanted to know what they believed and how to live that out in their lives. And this is what the heart and soul of Ligonier Valley Study Center was all about, and really about what his whole ministry was about. He wanted to teach the Word of God 
to people who wanted to know more about their faith and about more about their Savior Jesus and the Lord God. We might not all be called to be teachers like R.C., but regardless of our calling, we know, need to know what we believe and why we believe it. R.C. would say, I owe every human being I know to do everything I can to communicate the gospel to them. And we should, we should do the same thing. That should be our desire, to do everything we can to communicate the gospel to those people around us. But in order to communicate the gospel effectively, there's three things we need to do. First, we need to read his word. It's not just enough to come to church and listen to a message being preached. We need to spend time reading his word. And we do this so that we get to know God. We do this so that we can have relationship with him through his word. This is the way that God chose to reveal himself to us is through his written word. 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we read the Bible so that we can understand where we're going off track, so we, should know, so we can know how we ought to live our lives. We can read about the Israelites wandering through the desert, and we, see, we can say, Lord, help me to not make the same mistakes that they made. Or we can read the letters to Timothy or to Titus, or we can read the Gospels and we can say, Lord, how, how does this impact my life? How do I take what I'm reading and use it for your glory? We need to read his word. And then the second thing we need to do is we need to study his word. It's not enough just to read it. We have to study his word. So a, a good practical way to do that is to get a study Bible because you, it really will give you an idea of the context of what you're reading and you really get a better rounded idea of what the word is talking about. In Acts 17, the apostle Paul is run out of Thessalonica and he goes to a nearby town of Berea. And then the Bereans are commended for being eager to listen to God's word, but then also to take what they heard and search the scripture to make sure that it was sound teaching. So they weren't just listening to what the Apostle Paul said. They were looking to the Old Testament scriptures to make sure he was telling them the right thing. And we need to do the same thing. In Paul's letters to Timothy, he charges him to confront corrupt leaders in the church with their strange teachings that are distorting the gospel and that are dividing the church. It's the same thing we see today, especially in the American church. There's things that are being taught that are just false, and we need to learn to recognize what they are, and we need to preach truth instead of teaching lies. And one way to be able to do that is if we study the Word of God, we can know what the truth is. Proper theological education is a key theme in Paul's letters to Timothy as a weapon to battle against the spread of these false teachings. And in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
By having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This phrase in verse 2, be ready in season and out of season, reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so we read the Bible so that we can answer questions that people might have. I'm sure some of you may have heard, why should I believe the Bible? Does God really exist? Was Jesus really resurrected? If God is good, why is there evil in the world? If we're studying the Word of God, we can understand the reasons for what we believe. We can understand the answers for these questions, and we can be able, we can help people remove these roadblocks that are keeping them from coming to Jesus. It takes reading and studying His Word to be able to do this. There are compelling arguments for all of these questions that we may encounter, or that questions we may even have ourselves. R.C. Sproul said, I believe that the case for the existence of God is not just highly probable, but it is absolutely logically compelling. And that's the same for all of these questions, not just does God exist, but R.C. devoted his life to studying Scripture, to know what he believes, why he believes it, and to be able to defend the faith in the presence of people who would question, have doubts. But it empowered him to speak truth into the life, the life of those he encountered. So we study the Bible to make a defense and answer people, but we also study the Bible so that we can battle against false teachings. And I'm reminded of what Pastor Louis said in his message, we're called to be in the world, not of the world. And so while we're in this world, we can shine light into darkness, and we can speak truth against the false claims that are coming against it, because the same sort of things that R.C. was battling against in the 70s and 80s are the same sort of things we're up against today where people are saying that the Bible is not inspired by God and that the Bible is full of contradictions. It's not true. People will say that Jesus wasn't resurrected, but the Apostle Paul said that if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then our faith is useless anyways. There's compelling reasons to believe all of these things. The church should influence the culture, not culture influence the church. And we're up against that all of the time. But in order to battle against that, we need to study the Word of God so that we know the truth and we can battle the false teachings that are going on. We need to be serious about God's Word. One of the first things that R.C. Sproul learned after he read through the Old Testament for the first time, he said that he realized that God is a God who plays for keeps. God means what he says, and he says what he means. And we need to be as serious about God's word as he is in order to speak truth in the world. We need to know and defend what the Bible says, not what we want the Bible to say, and not what makes people feel good. We need to speak truth. That's what we're called to do. We're called to read the word, study the word, and we're called to obey the word. It's not just enough to read it and study it. If we don't do what it says, it means nothing to us. We need to obey the word of God. In James 1, 
verse 22 through 25. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. R.C. stressed that reading the Bible is one thing, studying the Bible is another thing, and obeying the Bible is another thing altogether. Wouldn't you agree? So we obey his word out of love and adoration for him. We were saved for good works. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. We do it out of love and adoration for him. And some of my favorite verses from all of scripture come from John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking. And in verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We obey God's word because we love God. R.C. Sproul said, The secret to happiness is found in obedience to God. Thus, the top and the tail of it is that happiness cannot be fully discovered as long as we remain ignorant of God's word. So, we fight the good fight of faith. We finish the race. And next, there's the faith to keep. We want to finish well. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so as the band comes up and we start to close, I just want to share a little bit with you about how R.C. Sproul finished well. This word here for keep, I have kept the faith, it means to guard, to watch over, or to observe. This ties in again with observing the law of God. I have kept the faith. We want to look back over our lives, having nothing left undone. We want to have no regrets We want to do everything that God is calling us to do, and we want to finish it well. You see, I had shared with you that story of R.C.'s father passing, and at that time, he had no faith to keep, no race to finish, but by the end of his life, he had found a faith to keep, and he had found his race, and he ran it with everything that he had. And he's a witness for us that we should do the same thing. Now that we have this faith, it's something that we need to strive after, something that we, we need to pursue. Stephen Nichols, the author of the biography, he said this about R.C. With minor exceptions here and there, he taught timeless truths. He avoided the hot take on the current issue He believed that the timeless was the most timely, the classic, the most urgent for the day. I think a lot of times we get too wrapped up in current events and we forget the foundation of the gospel message. We just need to teach what the Bible says. That's all we need to be concerned about. 
It's not about some latest fad or fancy teaching points. Not about Instagram quotes or Facebook, even though those are good. I don't want to be known for preaching catchy slogans, but for preaching the Word of God. In his final two sermons, R.C. preached from Hebrews 1 and 2 about a glorious Savior and a great salvation. And at the end of his life, he had a lot of health issues. He was on oxygen because he suffered from COPD. And in his last two messages, he's straining to hold himself up at the lectern as he's preaching. But he's got his game face on, and he preaches with passion about the glorious Savior and a great salvation. And although he would, he would miss birthdays and piano recitals as he was teaching around the world, and as he would miss baseball games, he made his family time count. And this is another example for me because with everything that we're putting our hands to, family is what matters. Since the first and second grade, it has been R.C. and Vesta. His daughter, Sherry Lee, said, I had such a kind, fun, loving dad who is absolutely crazy about me. That's what finishing well looks like. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We want to enter eternity with Jesus saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you guys pray for me? Well, yeah, pray for me. Pray with me. I need prayer, so you can do that too. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to be the sacrifice we need so that we can come before you. We thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. I pray that as we read your word and we study your word, we would come to know you more and we would live more like your son, Jesus. Help us to be witnesses to those around us. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.